Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show all powered by the questions you send in each week on Twitter and the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page. Use the at Marshall Pruitt Twitter handle when I put out the call for questions. And so if you aren't following there and if you haven't followed on our Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page, you just might do that because that's the way to fire in questions. Each week on our little show here, brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Going to get right into our questions here in just a moment. First, I want to say a huge thank you, as always, to our pal Jerry Suddeth, who puts those questions together for us, sorts through them, ask him to find about 45-ish minutes worth of good stuff, and sometimes it stretches a little bit longer than that, and then the rest go below the red line of death. And so, if the shows go by a little faster than expected, not uncommon to pick from those. So, big thanks to Jerry, big thanks to all y'all for sending in everything. Also, if you are uh, you're looking for a new racing family, no, this is not a promo for the weekly hashtag racing family show I do with my pal Chris Wheeler on Twitter Spaces. This is just to mention that the Prue Day listener group that formed around this little podcast of mine a couple years ago can indeed join in. It's an amazing group of folks, men, women non-binary truly all races all religions all political ideologies just everything a a full and beautiful spectrum of every type of person who happens to love motor racing and comes together on a daily basis to chat about just all kinds of stuff Uh, send an email if you want to join in there takes a couple days usually for uh, some of the leaders there to get a hold of that email and respond. But send that email to prudayrocks at gmail.com. P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S. Prudayrocks at gmail.com. And they will invite you into that growing family of, I don't know, 100, 200, whatever the number is. It's a lot. I'm not involved, nor should I be. Uh, but truly so passionate for the great folks who comprise that group so uh, one little note after our last episode where just honestly had fun retelling my little daytona getting yelled at by rp and chip ganassi's story was uh, a lot of fun to wake up here i don't know if it was sunday or monday or whatever uh had a great text from a a dear friend at IndyCar who said, all right, uh, I guess we know not to get you booze and socks for next year's birthday. And then uh, another old pal, Zach Brown, sent a note saying, "Uh, now I do know what to get you for uh, your birthday next year. So hopefully, uh, yeah, I'll get yelled at by Zach next year. And maybe that's the new birthday tradition. Every year, someone from the IndyCar paddock just uh, unloads on me. Keep in mind, I I do know a lot of their birthdays. So, what do you think, Pruday and listeners of this uh, Week in IndyCar show? Should I unload on some of them on theirs? I don't know. I mean, I'm a giving person, right? You know that about me. Anyways, a uh, lot of fun there. So, why don't we get rolling here? 
what are we going to do when we get rolling? Well, since this is a couch episode, not doing it in the office, you know how we start the show. the dumbest sound ever but i love it and it amuses me uh we're gonna kick off with our pal james bethay he says let's welcome nigel mansell to the week in indycar logo says awesome awesome work from roger uh and that just referring to the somewhat random request i put into uh, our friend and artist roger warwick who created a week in indycar logo using some star wars themage uh and since red five is certainly a part of star wars lore well nigel mansell uh zach brown buying uh one of nigel mansell's championship winning 1993 lolas by the way recently so some fun uh, linkage there too between zach and nige and our logo here uh just trying to come up some fun stuff so yeah thanks for uh the acknowledgement of roger's awesomeness there james Uh, he says also for anyone crying about uh, your recent articles uh, there's a product at your local drugstore that you can buy to cool the butthurt feelings uh some folks might have had recently uh keep dropping the facts marshall well it's kind of you to to send that along james i mean yeah i think i mentioned this last week my job is not to write happy articles or sad articles or whatever else it's just a report and uh whether it falls into that super smiley or super grumpy range it's just that's that's the job uh let's see wario andretti Hey, Marshall, happy holidays. I just want to know if there are any cameras rolling when Roger Penske um, asked you that question straight out of Degrassi. Wow, we've got a Canadian youth uh, drama reference going on here early in the show. You see, sounds like reality TV show dialogue, uh, if I've ever heard it. Funnily enough, uh, yeah, what was it like? I think the day the article went up or maybe the day after, whenever it was, got confirmation of the new uh, reality show stuff being announced. So part of me was like, man, I wish there were cameras rolling. I don't even care if I was on camera. Just someone fixated on RP uh, yelling at somebody and then Ganassi yelling at somebody. Like, truly, I think there's a bit of a failure there uh, because that would have made for some really fun and compelling uh, drive to survive like nonsense uh let's see why don't we keep it rolling with our pal jj gertler who says what are you going to do to get michael andretti and zach brown to holler at you so as to complete the set yeah i mean look (laughs) what i've had bobby ray hall recently tell me that uh, don't ever ask him any questions again and yeah he's mad at me and i'm bad a bad person um chip and i are good you know if you don't have a somewhat hostile exchange with ganassi there's something wrong so that's kind of normal and we'll see about rp i won't tell you about another call that i had uh with someone else who said that they uh loved the columns and articles um yeah uh if it, yeah their comments were really interesting owing to who they work for um Michael, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I might be getting yelled at by him here soon too. So, really, um, I might need one of those like deli punch cards kind of things where, yeah, with all the team owners' names, and you know, I might not be too far away from having the entire paddock pissed off at me. But you know, uh, let's just say I'm I'm doing my best to honor Robin Miller's legacy. 
Uh, Cody Oakwood. <clears throat> We're going to continue and, I guess, close this theme and then move into the uh, some of the TV stuff. Uh, Cody, you say, I'm glad uh, they gave you such awesome birthday gifts. However, is there a line you can cross as a journalist to where IndyCar and its owners could shut you out completely? Uh, you say, where is that line? And are there times in your career where you've gone too far in your criticism or wished you hadn't printed information, even though your words or opinions could be defended? Yeah, th this is truly, Cody, a very unique scenario. Insofar that IndyCar is a small community. Right? We love it, but it's not a giant sport where, for the most part, reporters of that sport can write or say anything. And it's not as if some of the players or team owners or coaches and management won't take a disliking to you, but uh, it's big enough to where it's really not going to have any kind of major resonance that might affect you. IndyCar, on the other hand, yeah, it is pretty darn small. And so there is a line to consider, and it changes, right? There's no single line, right? Each person has their boundaries of what they will, quote, tolerate or what might push them over the edge. Uh, but I always work to be as honest and truthful as possible in what I write about, what I opine about, and what information I share. Uh, an example here, I usually start getting the questions sent to me for the weekly racers mailbag that goes up Wednesday morning Eastern time. I usually get those, start getting those questions maybe the day after the mailbag, so Thursday, Friday, something like that. Get the majority of those then, try and knock those out early, and then on Monday I get a final batch of whatever came through. And so by end of Monday, maybe even Tuesday morning, buttoning everything up, submitting it, they can edit and get everything ready to go to go live the following morning. Um, I can tell you that I wrote something in the first question for this week's mailbag that was unflinchingly honest. And I just wrote it because I felt the need to just say exactly what I was thinking and to say exactly what I felt was the 100% truth. And after reading it a couple of times, I decided to delete it. Because having done this long enough, you can start to get a feel for, okay, if that was published and went live, I could defend that all day long because there's proof, evidence, you name it, that it's 100% factually correct. But not everybody cares about facts or correct. There are points where a person or an organization might say, enough's enough. And you break a relationship either short-term or maybe even permanently. Having read through that a couple of times, I said to myself, you know what? I want to submit this, 
but I think this might actually break stuff. And I don't want to push things to the point of breaking. And that's part of the inner dialogue that will go on. Uh, if I had to think back to another example of something where the decision was to push forward and go forward, knowing that it was going to stress everything to the limits, if not possibly break some things. A good example would be when Hinch had his huge crash uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and Robin and I worked hard to get a lot of sources, a lot of things straight about that crash and the injuries he suffered that for reasons unknown the IndyCar series at that time was not compelled to share and so granted this is under different ownership completely different communications department both at the speedway and uh, at the series so totally different administration in every way but we both knew that again the series was choosing to sit or bury uh, the truth sit on it didn't want it to come out and our job is to not just ignore our responsibility as reporters and so we went hard after getting this the true extent of his injuries sourced over and over and over and over again weren't rushing to push it out right we waited uh, a good while before that ended up going live and it <laughs> oh yeah the series was livid the drivers i don't know if it was all the drivers but many of the drivers basically sent a collective note to indycar saying we want you to censure uh racer magazine and miller and pruitt funnily enough most of them came hard after me and not miller i think it's because i was the easier target uh, with robert robin being so well and long established myself only being you know less than a decade in as a reporter um didn't speak with some folks for months if not longer my dear friend sebastian bourdais and i uh didn't speak for a good long time same with pagino same with tony canon um like felt that he and i had violated something pagino felt that Pagino had some really strange thoughts on it that led him to write us off, etc. But in that instance, this was us truly doing our job, knowing that there would be reprisals. And yeah, there were a number of drivers and otherwise who said, nope, you're dead, dead to us. Those things eventually got repaired. Ah. So it's a bit of a case-by-case -case thing, Cody. <clears throat> Whatever I wrote about the 2.4, 2.2 liter stuff and all that, honestly, among IndyCar's greater issues or problems today, or even over the last 10 or 20 years, tiny. Like truly a blip on the radar of farts in church by the series. But under its new ownership, where criticism is never welcome, uh, belief that they are not correct and right at all times and making 
perfect decisions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's no willingness for anything other than constant praise and constant falling in line with whatever their beliefs and message happens to be, whether it is or is not rooted in truth or reality. That, to close on this subject, that is something I am continually trying to figure out on a daily basis. And I do mean that because I have been thinking more and more about this on a daily basis. Under IndyCar's newish ownership, there's just no latitude for anything that isn't a glowing and shining story, opinion, video, podcast, written piece, or whatever. And I don't know if that jives with my long-term peace of mind or sanity of where I would want to insert myself and cover a racing series uh, if that's going to be just the norm in perpetuity. So there you go. Thanks for asking, Cody. Uh, Chris Kowalik, Marshall, do you have any information on who the the Road to Indy intends to document? Say the, the press release says Elio, but while I know he's fairly recognizable, I don't know that following a driver old enough to be your intended audience's dad is the best choice. Um, I don't know exactly who, and when you say road to Indy, I think of junior open wheel. Uh, I think you're, hun- think you mean the hundred days to Indy. Um, I don't know what the exact plan is, but I know from some conversations that I had a few weeks ago, uh, with at least one person who would be in charge of selecting how this gets done. I didn't hear anything about we're going to lock on to one person um, and do anything heavily around just one. Uh, obviously, Elio's a great subject, knowing that he's going for his fifth Indy 500 win, but I believe you're going to see a well-balanced mix among drivers, teams, I'm hoping mechanics and whatnot. Um, That was a little bit of the input that I was able to provide very briefly, just in terms of a suggestion. So more to follow here. Uh, Big Knicks 12. This afternoon, Marshall. What drivers would you say are on the hot seat and feeling the most pressure to perform going into 2023 uh you also say do you think roger penske's cloak and dagger approach is hurting the series more than helping the series in the pr department yeah i don't see penske entertainment's blueprint yet on hurting the pr department Uh, i think with whomever replaces sj lutke as the vp of marketing uh, it'll be interesting to see how that person and any new staff they might bring on and any agencies that they will hopefully be hiring to help spread and widen their reach and approach to promoting indycar Um, i think this is very much a case of Let's not offer opinions since we don't know what the name of this new person is because they haven't even been found or hired uh, or their or their approach. So we're going to need to let a lot of things happen and play out first before we can then 
take a look and offer some educated thoughts on what is or isn't happening and if there are areas that need to be uh, improved. So uh, as for drivers on the hot seat, there is nobody with a toastier behind than our pal Roman Groschon. Uh, no question, zero percent question as to which driver is indeed uh, sitting on the toastiest seat in IndyCar. Uh, Roman's deal with Andretti Autosport, a two-year deal with options for more. Believe those are team-based. Having completed the first, he heads into 2023 coming off of a admittedly disappointing run to 13th in the championship uh no wins had one podium obviously um well below expectations for himself and the team i'm overstating the obvious here but because he heads into the final year of his contract he simply must perform in order to receive an invitation to continue with the team if by chance things do not go well i am struggling to think of any other team that would be chasing him down especially at the rumored high salary that he earns to have him join their team no matter what anybody has done in IndyCar, if Will Power comes off of his championship-winning season and cannot find the podium with a flashlight and both hands, that is going to seriously affect Roger Penske's desire to continue holding on to him in his car. And granted, there's a couple of exceptions. Scott Dixon, that guy's got a seat Uh, pretty much as long as he wants one because he has assembled a body of work that deserves that. But I look at Romain first and say, without an excellent year, he could be in real trouble of falling out of the series. Would say there's a fairly obvious one after that. I mentioned Romain first because I'd say he's the highest profile in this category. After him, I'd say our pal Jack Harvey, Jack the Baker, Jack the Bean Flicker Harvey. I'm confident there will be vast improvements for him in that uh, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan entry of his. Without that, hmm. where Roma having a tough season might lead to not getting an invitation to return to Andretti Autosport after the season is done. I have mentioned here before, I fear that if Jack gets off to another poor start, he might not make it to Indy. Um, So I'd say there's a, a more pressing need for him to deliver right away. If I work down the rest of those that jump out, really the only other one that truly, uh, I think, and this might be the the under the radar pick 
here for people who need to perform at a much higher level to avoid uh, being invited to no longer show up to work uh, at their current team. Old pal Simon Pagano, right? Know that he had a uh, a podium last year at the uh, the first Indy Grand Prix. <sighs> I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying Elio, barring some sort of drastic change of mind, um, is heading into his final season, full season. So readily expect a new driver in that car when we come back for 2024. Simon heading into the second of his two-year deal. And again, I'm confident there are options for him to stay and do more years most likely team-based options um simon switching to meyershank racing and granted he did have six seven top tens that really wasn't what they were thinking they were going to get and i'm by no means putting this all on him right New team, first time in a new team for a good long while. Getting to work with a new engineer with the uh, excellent uh, Garrett Mother said. Um, right, a lot of new things to work through, a lot of new things to figure out. Uh, obviously, the team working with Andretti Autosport, uh, Andretti Technologies providing not just dampers but uh, you know setup direction and whatnot. Andretti as a whole had a a fairly down year top driver in the championship place ninth right like that's that's (laughs) that's an indicator of how rough the year was for andretti well there's going to be a trickle down of course to meyershank racing with uh, the same average setup information and, and damper builds that andretti used and had limited success with naturally their client Meyershank Racing was going to have the same limited results regardless of that I think Simon needs to be able to not just improve from finishing 15th in the championship one spot behind rookie of the year Christian Lungard at the RLL team which most of us would say had a pretty brutal first half of the year and nine points ahead of rookie Dale Coyne driver David Malukas. That's part of the context that's really hard to ignore. And again, for our friends at Shank and for Pagano, want them to be doing better. It's pretty surprising at how not better their debut season was. So I think Simon might be the sleeper who's got to have a big year to get an invite back, effectively get a contract extension. Yeah, uh, Groschon, Harvey, definitely put Pagano there as maybe the, the sneakiest one. Uh, who, yeah, he's going to have to have a, a three drivers who need to have really big turnarounds. Uh, our pal John Wojnar, a.k.a. John Ranjow, uh, who I saw videos of him drinking pilk, which is Pepsi poured into milk uh, after losing a bet 
with the, the fine Prude folks for how much money would be raised for charity here. Um, uh, John, I think, is also the one who might have coined the Prude name as well off of my favorite WWE tag team, the uh, former group known as the New Day. So he opens here with uh, the old Big E New Day uh, promo open. says, Oh, Marshall Pruitt, don't you dare be sour. Clap for another edition of the world-famous Week in IndyCar and feel the power. There you go, John. He says, Hope all's well during this holiday season. My question is, I had the unfortunate chance to taste buttermilk this weekend, and I have to ask, do drivers who willingly choose buttermilk for their potential Indy 500 winning drink know what they're getting into? He says, honestly, this top five worst thing I've ever had. Uh, you say, also, which driver is most likely to choose pilk uh, for their Indy 500 winning milk choice? I feel like that answer is Connor Daly at all times. Um, but who else? I mean, that I'm trying to think of, of young drivers who have... Well, I mean, Connor does actually take very good care of himself uh, for the most part. Better care than he once did. But I'm just trying to think of, of who... Who has yet to know? Who has yet to learn? Like, I was going to say maybe Santino... But he actually has some fairly high standards uh, there, so I don't think he would dare put that in his body. Uh, let me let me work through. I'm tr- truly trying to figure out here. Um, you know what this stands out as? This stands out as we need to have a Pruday Bus Bros crossover, right? If uh, if if McLaughlin in particular was willing to effectively boil himself from the inside out by eating hot wings and knowing that, you know, I think he just admitted he's not somebody where heat really is meant to be part of his dining uh, choices there. This feels like something we need to do a crossover with. Um, At Indy, I don't know. At Detroit, for sure, where our friend John here is a uh, volunteer for the Detroit Grand Prix. This might need to be a thing and there would definitely have to be a charitable aspect to it uh so i don't know i feel like mclaughlin you know he takes good care of himself too but he there's an element of of, of gamerness that's not a word to him that i feel more than almost any other like if i went to pato he'd look at me and say hell no bro uh rosenquist he might there, there's a level of curiosity to Rosenquist, so I think Felix might be, maybe. Herta, no way. No possible way. Um, where else? Do, you know, Malukas, maybe. Hey, you know, lovely kid. You know, a little bit uh, under mom and dad's wing. Maybe he hasn't lived enough of the world to know to say no. So maybe that's the guy. Um, Kirkwood would say no. Uh, he's from Florida. He's seen enough crazy things in his young life to know this is bad news. So I think we might struggle there. So yeah, I, I, I think we've maybe singled out the ones that would really and truly, uh, would be possible here, John. As for those who choose buttermilk, yeah, like 
I'm just sharing from someone who lives on a coast. Uh, buttermilk's not really a thing at all. <laughs> I'm guessing I might find it at a grocery store somewhere, but yeah, at least out here. Uh, oh boy, yeah, buttermilk just ain't a thing. So I think it might be more of a regional Midwest thing. So for those who do choose buttermilk, that'd be an interesting thing. Maybe to look at last uh, May's list of who chose what. How many of those drivers happen to be Midwestern in origin? I don't know if South possibly a little bit, but yeah. Um, I can't recall the last time I tasted it nor do I want to. So I think my brain just rejected this concept altogether. Uh, what do we go to Iceman 35 BE? I love various Twitter handles, uh, not having a clue as to how they're assembled. Uh, it says, why has Imsen, the WC, been so successful in bringing new manufacturers to the GTP slash hypercar class? Well, IndyCar struggled to find the all coveted and elusive third manufacturer uh, you got a couple other questions so let me jump on this one first and we get this question not infrequently and i always welcome answering it because i realize we either have uh new listeners each episode or those who just come to this uh question on their own uh every day week month or otherwise um with this IMSA slash WEC prototype formula, there was significant freedom built into the rules on the engine front. It basically said, and I'm lightly paraphrasing here, but you could make it about this tall, this wide, and this long. And have at it. There are some limitations here, right? Uh, crank height, height of the crankshaft is something that limited some manufacturers from going with a particular motor that they might have wanted. Uh, the formula doesn't really welcome giant motors. But for the most part, there's creativity and open-mindedness and high what do you sell on them road cars and trucks you make and hey are there any things within that realm that you might like to promote well if you do uh we've given you a decent size box in the back of the car to try and fit your motor and have at it that's the thing here. IndyCar used to do this a long time ago. 80s, probably the last time it was really taken advantage of from a design standpoint. Hey, you want to put a V6 in there? You want to put a V8? You want to, you know, play around with different ideas? Like, go for it. We'll figure it out. We'll restrict something or give something if we need to try and make the engines perform in the same general hemisphere so that you know if folks go with this idea well they're just going to destroy everybody else 
it wasn't the modern day balance of performance we see in sports cars where it is so brutally restrictive that it just tries to strip any and all individuality out of the uh, the on-track performance but there was a little bit of the hey okay if you want to bring a bigger hammer cool uh We'll let you, but we're not going to let that hammer just knock everybody else out. And if you want to bring a smaller hammer, cool. We'll let you strike a a bigger blow with it uh, so that you're not just losing because you brought something smaller to the party. Again, not balancing them out, but at least trying to bring them into the same general performance level. And at that point, let those motors go and the best ones won and the other ones didn't um that's imsa's general approach here to this formula and that's what manufacturers have responded to so we have had uh folks say cool well uh, we'll do just that what do we want? Do we want a naturally aspirated motor? Do we want a turbocharged motor? Do we want six cylinders? Do we want eight? Do we, what do we want? Where do we want to put the turbos? Do we want to put them in the middle of the engine, on top of the engine? Uh, do we want to put them on the outside? Where do we, what do we want to do? How do we want to do things? Uh, enough creative latitude to where you have manufacturers go, oh, cool, you're going to let my identity in whatever we're trying to do in this new hybrid world, you're going to let my identity have a real home in this vehicle. IndyCars has been brutally restrictive. And when you tell everybody you've got to build the same displacement engine, 2.4 liters, it's got to have six cylinders no more no less it's got to be shaped in a v at no more than this 90 degree angle it's got to have two turbos and it's got to have this and gotta 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 you strip away the individuality and so this is where indycar if it really and truly wants to have more than two manufacturers needs to alter its approach do a bit of a throwback granted the folks running the series today i take that by me penske obviously was involved in cart and winning championships back then and was one of the key uh key participants in all that in the formation of cart but uh really the folks running modern day indycar uh with the exception of one or two were not involved back in the day when folks would show up with a variety of engine ideas and go forth and fit them into the back of the cars however they were able to and went and tried to use that as their formula for success so it's in the removal of the vast it can only be this one specific type of motor approach that IndyCar needs to shed and hoping to get a commentary or I don't know if it's a commentary but a uh, little insight piece about this exact topic done here for Racer I'll try to get that done before I try and shut down for the rest of the month uh, once we get to the end of Friday but this is where we have this big difference happening Iceman 35BE 
locked down to the point of almost being choked and out of oxygen in IndyCar and not crazy open do anything you want in IMSA but open just enough for manufacturers to find numerous reasons for it to fit their marketing promotions and R&D desires to then get all kinds of money being thrown in for them to build these new hybrid GTP cars and go racing. Just another quick little addendum to this. IMSA, in terms of audience size, terms of television ratings, a drop in the bucket compared to IndyCar. So for all the stuff we say about, boy, we wish IndyCar's ratings were bigger and the audience was bigger and all these things, IMSA is like just not even a blip on the radar by comparison to IndyCar. And yet, faced with IndyCar announcing it was going hybrid in 2019 and IMSA announcing they were going hybrid in 2020 all the manufacturers we're talking about Porsche and BMW in particular joining on for year one coming up here in January Lamborghini coming in year two in 2024 we think McLaren maybe 2025 and maybe another like the numbers just keep building over in the WC they've got a hypercar class slightly different formula but they've also got some of these GTP LMDH cars too there's others there Alpine coming and this and that right um, why would manufacturers dedicate themselves if we're just talking here in IMSA to a series that has fewer fans and much smaller TV ratings while spending considerably more per year than what it would cost to do IndyCar engines. Why would they do all this in IMSA where they know they're going to be seen by fewer, get less return on investment in terms of Nielsen ratings and that kind of stuff? Um... Uh, that's that's a it's a very telling thing isn't it when they're willing to commit more money to in concept get less they see something there that is so much more attractive than what they would get if they went to IndyCar under its current engine regulations uh, I think if IndyCar adapts its mindset more towards IMSA I think we all of a sudden see more manufacturers coming our way. Uh, our pal J.J. Gertler's back. Says it's time to plan out next year's schedule. If choosing among Barber, Portland, and Mid-Ohio to see a race, which might be tops on the MP scale? Um, well, <laughs> it all depends, J.J. Uh, and for anybody else, uh, I think it depends on whether you are an active consumer of cable news or not um, because if you are you probably have heard or would be led to believe that portland is just the worst city ever in the history of the world and uh it's filled full of the antifas and the everything's and it's always on fire and everything's just the worst um i can tell you that's not the truth 
I love Portland, have loved it for decades. I enjoy it every time I go there. Great food, great art, great culture and music and like just right. Uh, it's a colder, rainier San Francisco. Um, but again, if you're just not really caring about what anyone else is telling you or any other brainwashing that might be going on in the world and you just truly are curious about destinations to enjoy the motor racing between the three you've mentioned um, if you've never been I'd say Barber for sure because phenomenal track phenomenally maintained great museum and a great touring and walking track if you have never been to portland there's tons to do uh, a lot more to do than leeds alabama where barber happens to be mentioned um, located i should say uh, i don't know how much of a touring track it is though JJ, so if we're talking about getting around to see everything and feel like you're really stuck in there, I don't know if Portland's layout uh, really fits that. Uh, Mid-Ohio, a great communal experience. Definitely one of the great touring, walking tracks you're going to find on the calendar. Uh, especially if you're of the camping mindset that's really where you get to have a lot more fun there than you do at many other tracks. Barber, not a place for camping. Portland, you can. It doesn't seem like something I would really enjoy there so much. But if I had to pick between the three for you, I'd say go to Barber. It's, it's the most upscale of the three if you're looking for upscale. Um, Mid-Ohio would be second. It's retro for sure, uh, but love the track, love the area, love the people, just pure love. And I don't dislike Portland by any means, but if we're talking the difference between Alabama or Ohio or going all the way across the country to Portland, um, I would recommend Portland only if you are staying out here and going from Portland to Laguna Seca and making it kind of a back-to-back -back type thing. Uh, but yeah, of the three, uh, I think you're going to love yourself some Barber Motorsports Park more than um, any of the other two options. Uh, Jameen Tuttle. How you doing, Jameen? Say the Hunkos Hollinger announcement on Friday was good. Talking about Indy Lights drivers. Sorry, Indy NXT. <laughs> random and meaningless use of the DJ reggaeton air horns. Uh, you say, but I am wondering who their second IndyCar driver will be. Uh, do we have one more silly season update coming this year? Well, yes, because I've written about it. Uh, and they haven't announced anything. So, yes, there's no answer yet. Um, I was going to call Ricardo today, but then I realized that uh, the good old footy kicking the ball soccer cup thing was on and his argentina was uh participating uh, and if i called him it would have been kind of a jerk move plus i don't think he would have answered because if you're from argentina and argentina's in the world cup 
you know, kind of finale, whatever, uh, seeing who's going to go to the final cup thing. Can you tell I don't watch it and don't really know all the correct terms? Um, yeah, I, I did want to bug Ricky, but maybe I'll call him tomorrow if he's sobered up yet. Um, granted, uh, I don't know if there's a crazy rush to get this resolved, but would I be speaking out of turn if I were to say if we were to end up learning that they were to not go to a second full-time car it wouldn't totally shock me I just don't know of any amazing solutions for them I've written that uh, I know that there's a desire for uh, them to have Augustine Canapino in that car I believe he has said he's dedicated to doing more of the TC2000 series but I also think look if a budget's found uh the guy will be driving Indy cars next year. Whether it's Augustine who would be learning everything, and I would expect to be last or close to last in every session all year long, not because he's bad, just because there's so much to learn, um, or pick one of the Indy Lights drivers who has spent enough time there and wants to move on and get to IndyCar. I don't know any of them that have a, a full budget, but still, there are plenty who I think could do well. Well being very different from great. I know you asked who it's going to be. I don't have the answer, nor do they yet. But the, the bigger question that I keep coming back to, Jameen, is this. They have a phenom in Calamilot. He's their multi-year deal. He'll be leading the team no matter who they sign to that second car. At this stage of the season, silly season, off-season, not too far from 2023, not too far from spring training, um, how many additive drivers are out there that might be signed that fit the criteria of being able to bring some budget or again if Ricky can find sponsorship to run Canapino fund it himself or themselves um, how many additive drivers remain that's the part where I'm struggling not dismissing any of the kids who have shown talent and won at least one Indy Lights race last season. But I can't think of any scenario where Ricardo at this moment has someone to climb into that second car who's going to give them a real one-two punch. One of the things that led Ricky to bail out of IndyCar was his growing tired and kind of killing his spirit of, hey, I've been able to buy the equipment and build this big shop and we were able to go IndyCar racing just kind of doing it though taking checks from drivers who for the most part not all but for the most part we're not going to be going anywhere right we're just kind of making up the numbers or hey we finished 16th awesome cool but we're not trying to get excited about moral victories in a race-by-race -race basis we want to go do big things the lack of that reality is what led ricardo to say i'm out this is lame i'm in indycar but i have no chance 
coming back, now they got a chance. Now they've got Callum Eilat. That's amazing. So, hey, we're going to expand to two cars. Great. I just worry if the options for that second car feel a little bit too much like the former, the first go-round of, of Ricardo's time as an IndyCar entrant, and the driver in that second car is just kind of making up the numbers. I'll ask, and he may say, no, dummy. I told you I was going to two cars, and that's going to happen no matter what. But part of me just wonders if the vibe is off and the, the competitiveness of that second car is off, whether Ricardo and his new partner, Brad Hollinger, would say, you know, why don't we hold on, right? We can go to two cars anytime. We, you know, that's not a problem. We have the cars. We have the people. We have the ability. We can go to two whenever. Should we do it just to do it because we said we would? Or should we wait, focus everything on Callum, everything on being a kick-ass one-car team, and if and when we come across a driver who fits all of our criteria and can give us that great, great second uh, push, if, say, Callum's not having a great day, um, wonder if that would be the smarter direction. Uh, Ed Joris, you're asking if the 2.2 liter motors might need a bit of beefing up, talking about stronger, newer crankshafts, bearings, rod bolts, etc., to deal with the extra torque from the upcoming motor generator units and such. It's a great question, of which I don't have an answer to. Uh, I hope to get some here, maybe within the next 24 hours, so uh, I'll see if I can get some info there. I know that when I did some asking last week about has IndyCar said and with the sticking with the 2.2s, here's an area or some areas we will open up for y'all to play with and develop to make more power, whatever else, was told haven't heard anything. But also it is, I'd say early days, Ed, but not super early. Uh there's going to have to be some ordering of stuff and commissioning of such things very soon in order to have these motors ready to uh, start getting hybrid and going live once the 2023 uh, season is over. So stay tuned. All right, let me wind down here to the last couple of questions. Our pal Matt Philpot Marshall with things as they stand today. What's the one thing you're most excited to see unfold in the 2023 season? You say, for me, it's watching how Alexander Rossi does with his new team! Exclamation point! Hmm. Excited, excited. What's, uh, what's exciting me? I don't know if, well, that in and of itself doesn't excite me. Um, I am more curious maybe on that point matt not specifically on the alexander and alexander alone part but on the pairing with race engineering first ballot hall of famer craig hampson uh rossi moving to aero mclaren sp which will soon just be aero mclaren I think that's going to be great for him, great for his career, great on every level. Throw in Craig freaking Hampson engineering the guy? If they click. 
if Rossi does whatever he needs to get the best out of Craig, knowing that Craig for many years dealt with our beloved Bourdais, who can be a bit of a dark shadow a lot. Um, if Rossi commits to doing whatever it takes to make Craig the happiest race engineer possible, there's a real potential of these two being devastating. That's what I'm looking forward to. So I know it does involve your guy, Rossi. I'm just looking at it from the opposite direction a little bit as an old race engineer saying, whoa. And it's not as if Rossi lacked having an amazing race engineer for the last many years with Jeremy Millis. Those two, Jeremy's, again, Jeremy's phenomenal. Craig's just, there's a little something extra different about him. If these two find a groove, this could be problematic for the series. Um, I am maybe sticking with that theme. I'll throw in, wrote today that Joseph Newgarden's going to have a new race engineer in Luke Mason be curious to see how those guys click they've already spent a year working together luke being uh, joseph's performance engineer now stepping up to race engineer if those two can get off to a fast start it's not like joseph got off to a slow start um like crazy slow start last season obviously barber didn't go uh, super wonderfully but you know the guy was flirting in and around the top five if not a couple podiums um the like what four out of the first five races i think um if he can get off to a slightly better start or just not have a bad barber um granted i'm talking about the 2021 season because i'm looking at the completely wrong page here so don't mind me i'm a total moron i'm gonna leave this in by the way uh sorry i was starting to feel a little bit wrong i'm like i thought new garden spun and crashed on the opening lap and that wasn't 22 but anyways um nonetheless he didn't have a great start at st pete um there were some rougher spots that did follow i mean he won texas and and long beach but he had a couple of rough runs right after that i think two or three in a row and you know fought back and won a bunch more races but still i think if he can just have a better start to the season uh that's something i'm gonna watch knowing he's on his third race engineer in three years uh one or two other quick things that come to mind um, would say that, hey, uh, Marcus Erickson had a pretty phenomenal season. Obviously, things got sidetracked a bit to close the year. Had a, a bunch of not great finishes that dropped him from the lead down to sixth. I'm watching him in particular to see if he can have a strong start to the year. Uh, that Indy 500 win, the double points, clearly gave him a big boost uh, to then lead a bunch of the championship uh, from the summer on. But how does Marcus come back, having shown the best version of himself? Is he able to continue that theme? And do we have a new perennial championship contender in front of us? 
there's a couple more, right? I mean, we can maybe go a little more in depth as we get close to the season, but uh, Scott Dixon has a brand new race engineer, right? He's yet another one um, who's going to be trying to gel and have great things happen uh, there. So, I mean, hey, not sure who's going to be engineering David Malukas, but he had a great season with his former race engineer who left for Ganassi and will be engineering Dixon. So what's going to happen uh, on that front? Um, what else? Maybe one more. And again, I know a lot of this is maybe falling into a similar pattern, but um, Pato Ward, right? Ended up finishing seventh in the championship. Uh had a pretty darn strong season following uh, a slow start and he readily admitted that his mind was just not in the right space a lot of the contractual stuff with uh, uh, Air McLaren SP was just weighing heavily on him and he was just distracted basically not on his game and once he got on his game Man, uh, the guy was really tough to deal with, but he also did have a couple of fairly bad finishes. Middle of the season, a little bit towards the end as well. What does a Pato Award look like coming into 2023? Fully tuned up, contract all set for years to come, no distractions I can think of, and a new teammate in Alexander Rossi, who he wants to beat more than anybody else to show his bosses that he is still the number one and to remind anyone else that, no, I'm the man here. What does Pato look like as a expected title contender with no reasons for anything to be derailed coming into the year? That, I think, is going to be a fascinating one to watch. Related to close here, Alex Pillow, right? Had a very good start to the year. Things got a little bumpy, a little bumpy uh, for a while there. I don't know if he was as focused as he should have been. Um, Finally got a win at the very last race of the year. What does that guy look like? Knowing he's got one more year at Ganassi. We all know he's leaving at the end of it for McLaren going to replace Rosenquist. Um, What does he look like coming in with his future completely sorted and basically a free season? I can go and attack. I don't have to worry about pissing anybody off here at this team. Chip's not going to fire me because I'm leaving before he would get a chance. Um, He's like, what does that guy's mindset do, right? Uh, If this guy, (laughs) if Pelot comes in, locked in and free I'm just saying the potential for next season to be quadruple insane in terms of competitiveness it's just it's hard to fathom I haven't even mentioned Colton Herta yet so yeah I can't wait this is going to be nuts um Let's see. 
E.M. Lonick. M. Lonick. Uh, you say, who do you think will be the first Indian NXT champion? Is it Hunter McElray? Is it Christian Rasmussen? Is it Rasmus Lind or someone else? Uh, let's get through at least the first big group test here with everybody included. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a feel yet be surprised if uh, that winner doesn't hail from HMD Motorsports, but uh, we'll have to see. So, um, I'm going to table this one, circle back on this just a little bit. Um, you'll say, how do the uh, NXT drivers feel about Linus Lindqvist's situation? Surely it must be discouraging to see this year's champion struggle to find a job. Haven't asked any of them yet. Did speak with Linus recently, and yeah, um... If I'm a kid with more talent than money, I am very worried because what did Linus what did Linus's situation just prove? You can have all the talent in the world, win a championship, and if you don't have the money to buy your way into an IndyCar seat, uh best of luck working at Home Depot or selling insurance or whatever else because yeah, um, I'd be petrified. Uh, we're going to go to our friend, Maddie McDonald. Uh, you got two questions here. Okay, suppose you can see all possibilities across the multiverse. If COVID-19 doesn't happen, do we get the 2.4 liter engines? And why or why not? Um, yeah. I know that HPD President David Salter said COVID forced a budget reduction for them and every other area of the company, uh, so that has given them less money to work with in terms of developing this new engine. Maybe, but I don't know if we're talking about crazy amounts uh, extra that they would have in order to build enough 2.4 liter engines to continue supplying the grid, half of the grid, like they are right now. So, yeah, I, I would say a lack of COVID would help, but I still think we would be seeing uh, them not really going beyond 12 leases, maybe, uh, for 2024. And at that point, we are losing entries from the grid. You also say, let's see, I'm trying to find some other things here. Um, what if we don't have COVID and we don't have the supply chain issues uh, and costs don't go up there? Uh, would that help? I mean, obviously it would. Um, you say, or do we get those motors if COVID doesn't happen because Molly would have had their stuff together, not delivered ERS units that needed either to be totally re-engineered, and I'll just add in here, uh, or mass-produced uh, for them. You say, or does Toyota sign on as a third supplier? Or was this poop show inevitable? Um, coming back to the things where I was told I was 100% wrong, uh, the lack of a third manufacturer, COVID or no COVID, it's the big overarching problem here. The secondary issue of IndyCar's chosen 
ERS vendor and delivery of those units and development of those units, I mean, that is another massive component of why we are staying with the 2.2 liter stuff. But to me, that is still a sub-component of the overarching problem. And that is Chevy and Honda said, we're budgeting for supplying one-third of the grid. You guys are saying you're confident you're going to be able to find a third manufacturer. Great. So that open 33%, that's going to be absorbed by someone else. So that's what they budgeted for. COVID obviously came along, but they agreed to this uh, before COVID hit, and off we go. Um, Needing to then split... Uh, that unfulfilled 33% of the grid, you know, however you want to divvy that up, is, you know, 16.5% extra per Chevy and per Honda. That's a pretty big chunk of extra budget to request. There's another thing, too, again, just pretending COVID never happened. Chevrolet... Honda, many other automotive manufacturers love racing. It's part of who they are. Don't think that'll ever change. There's another little thing to keep in mind, though, Maddie. It's that even though manufacturers who are involved in racing love them some racing, it's a pretty common dynamic for that relationship between the parent company and the chief marketing officer and the chief financial officer and chief technology officer to cast some very questioning eyes at the folks in the race on the racing side who are asking for their money right hey we need big marketing budget committed to what we're going to do and we need the R&D budget from the technology side and we need all these things you guys sell cars we sell cars we sell trucks I want a lot of those profits to go motor racing and no matter how big the fans are at the uh, corporations who make and sell these cars just saying it's pretty common for the folks on the high on those big towers to look down on the racing side and go, huh, okay, uh, we get it. Uh, Racing's important and it's in our DNA and whatever other things we've said, but we're going to need you to continually justify the reason for us to spend this amount of money with y'all to hand it over and believe that what you're doing is going to help us to sell more trucks, sell more cars. So there's usually a decent amount of stress and that circumspect approach of huh all right are you guys really just trying to get a lot of money to go play race car (laughs) are you sure we're selling anything extra as a result of what we give you each year for that budget so knowing that that is a pretty common pushback from the folks being asked to give this money every year Imagine what happens, even in a world without COVID, where the folks at these two fine companies say, we're signing on for this new formula, and we're going to take care of 33%, they're going to take care of 33%, 
and someone new is going to come along to take the final third and to then have to go back to your parent companies, whether it's presidents, whether it's CEOs, CTO, CMO, whatever acronym you want, and say, yeah, hey, <laughs> you know that series we said we love, and it's really cool, and they're going places and doing things, and we agreed, and I agreed, because I'm the person in charge here. Uh, I'm the one who said, hey, we got to do it, and you all said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. And then I said, well, could you give me a bunch of money? And you said, yeah. And then you did, and uh, hey, that series just came back to us, and they're not going to have that that other third um could i have more money oh boy that's where those people who vouched for the series are now asking am i going to have a job am i going to get blown out of my job because i (laughs) co-signed on the wrong thing um then you have the other layer of do you even go back and ask? Because you know, not only they're going to probably say no, but you're going to effectively fire yourself by going back and asking for more because you were the one who said we need to do this. And whether it's your fault or not, you're the person holding the bag. The the whether you go back and ask for more and risk getting fired as a result, whether you do that or not, realistically, it's going to be hard to get any extra money at all. So what you end up having, even without COVID, is this failure to land a third, failure for that manufacturer to take a third of the supply responsibility, and the ones who did commit and who have gotten budgets end up saying, whether there's no supply chain issues, whether there's no price hikes because of the supply chain issues, whether there's no COVID at all, we still have a budget centered around doing one third of the supply. And we are going to have to reduce our ability to support with engine leases to match what we've asked because we ain't getting more and or I don't want to get fired if I try and get more. So there's still that central problem here, Maddie, which I don't think we can overlook. Uh, and thanks for throwing this in. And your uh, your final question here is, wanted to know what my favorite beer was this year. Uh, and you say, semi-relatedly, does Emerson Fittipaldi make his pilk with orange juice? Okay, that's gross. Don't ever ask that question again. Um, the year isn't over yet, Maddie. So I would request you send this back in, because if I'm fortunate... I might be able to find one or two new beers, um, likely in cans, because I don't know if I can afford uh, ones in bottles. But uh, this might be a great one to send in for the first show of the new year, Matty, because I'm going to see if I can funk this up a little bit and try at least one or two more. Um, That's what we got for this week, y'all. Apologize to those who I didn't get to. Maybe if by chance uh, I find myself with some spare time and any of you actually truly want it i might do a uh, lcq last chance questions uh, later in the week or maybe over the weekend maybe i'll try and do that and since i have basically all the questions below jerry's red line of death uh, it would make it pretty easy to uh, pick up from there so once again thank you all for listening thanks to cooper tires 
the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com, and I will speak to you very soon.